We've seen a lot of live services fall or struggle this year. Knockout City, Rumbleverse, Overwatch is struggling, Multiverses has gone away for a little bit, Apex Legends Mobile, the list goes on. And this is just 2023. We're not even including 2022 and 2021. Why do developers keep on trying? I got Travis North up here, aka Thai Guy Travis from IGN to help me discuss this because uh, you, sir, have a ton of experience with live service games, as do I, but you're a little closer than to that stuff and you've talked to a few developers than I have. So, um, it's my beat. You, yes, my beat. sir. You, you have uh, written an article also on IGN uh, titled Apex Legends Mobile Avengers and Why Live Service Games aren't going away i'm of the mind live services that are a breaking point you think they're not going away um so we'll discuss that a little bit and then also you can find travis on uh the season gaming bitcast which shout out to that podcast because actually today as of recording july 2nd y'all just had a discussion with tyler owens the developer at respawn makers of apex legends that was really he works on the Apex Legends team as well. Yeah, so it was a live service discussion. Yes, so check that out as well. Travis, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. It's a good day. Independence weekend, you know? I love Independence Day. It's good. Good American vibes, I hope. We'll see. <laughs> yes, That's absolutely. So, so it's good. <clears throat> so at the time where we planned this, Redfall mm-hmm. had happened. Yes. And we know <laughs> what happened with Redfall. It came out that it was supposed to have some live service elements to it, which is Mm -hmm. part of the reason why Redfall fell so hard. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I have a different opinion. My my opinion is like this. This has happened a few times, actually. So there's games that pivoted during development and clearly were going to be a live service or have live service elements. Yep. And then they decided against it. Like Gotham Knights was one I reviewed that uh, very clearly to me kind of looked like it. And we had gained from context clues that maybe it was going to be a, a type of a service game like that. Um, I think it has more to say with like the troubled development of those games than anything else. Like uh Gotham Knights was that studio's first game in like 10 years. Redfall, they're working on a new IP that apparently was going so poorly that they were hoping that getting acquired by Microsoft would make them forced to fix it. Uh, so I, I think well, those games actually. What's that? They didn't, they were hoping they would cancel Redfall completely. Yeah, actually. I, I, I yeah. think they were hoping that I, I had read somewhere that they were hoping it would, uh, that they would make them start over, or like be able to give them extra time mm. or cancel it or do something like that. And clearly, Xbox did not take too close of a look at that game because about 10 minutes of playing it, you're like, yeah, I don't get it, man. This <laughs> yeah, is not real quick. Not feel great. Um, so yeah, that, that was an interesting one, but, uh, I, I, I tend to think those games had larger issues than the fact that at one point they included live service because, Importantly, they weren't live service, right? And they failed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lots of games that aren't live service games fail. I would say probably at the same rate, or technically even a better, a, 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 a harsher rate of them fail than live service games. So it's kind of an interesting um, phenomenon. But I don't think it's unusual in the games industry for games to pivot from one genre to another or include certain features that get cut later, because there is a bit of. Uh, I was just talking about this in the other interview with the respawn guy. Um, there is a bit of like fad fadness to certain game mechanics, yeah. right? The big fad right now is battle royales and they're, they are cyclical. Sometimes they come back into fashion. I remember a while back, like the Xbox one PS4 generation, like horse riding, having mounts in RPGs and every, yeah. RPG. like, <laughs> big things. Remember yeah. that? I was like, yep. every, every game's got to have a horse or something for you to ride dogs are occasionally one as well you gotta have a dog or something you can pet um so i i think games change in their structure i would i think you'd be really hard pressed to say that the reason those games failed is because they used to be live service games like redfall feels terrible to play yeah right yeah like that's not that has nothing to do with whether it's live service live service or no it could have had all the live service features in the world if the gameplay were better if it were compelling then it would be a completely different situation so i I tend to think those examples had a bigger problems to worry about and in fact those bigger problems may have been part of the reason why live service got cut 
because you kind of have to have a lot of faith in your product to say, I'm going to be doing this over multiple years. And if I were got a dev working on a Redfall, I'd probably look at that and go, I don't know if I want to work on this for multiple years, or I don't know if I believe in it. You know, it might be a fun little game to put out, but I don't, I don't want it to consume my life for six years or whatever. So. I think that's the interesting point about Redfall. Maybe the developers don't get enough credit for. I think it started as a live service type of game, but then they realized whatever they realized. And then they were like, they clearly, this ain't knew. It. they clearly knew. I talk about this a lot when I review games is that when I give bad review scores, the devs are rarely surprised. Almost never really. Yeah. Well, I agree. Yep. Cause they, cause they know, they, they know the game better than anyone. They've been working on it for years. You know, how many hours you have to play a game to successfully develop it. And so I think, you know, you play a game that much, you know, it's flaws intimately. And so when a critic criticizes your game and calls it out for a problem, A, B, C, or D, I'm not like, I, I can't imagine a developer in the world going, Oh, what really? You, yeah. you thought, you know <laughs> you what I mean? Like, that. Oh, you found, you found a bug. No way. I thought my game had no bugs. There's just no way that that's what, what's happening. So, yeah. Yeah. They saw the writing on the wall. They pivoted. So then it became a question of... Trying to get it canceled. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. (laughs) So so I guess what they did was shift it to something more that is aligned with what Arcane did uh, Mm -hmm. or is known for. And either they didn't have enough time, enough resources, enough money. Not sure what happened there. That hasn't been fully explained. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, people video games aren't are more art than science in my opinion like there's a science element because you're programming a game but the thing you're programming is artistic inherently and so i feel like developers you should give them a break if an idea they have don't work out i i I tend to write a bad review or two but i never am mad at the developers i just say hey look this game didn't work and that's that's the the nature of the beast sometimes it doesn't work so i think uh like the developers realized at some point that they had made something that they didn't find that fun. And I think them trying to switch to it. I, d- I don't claim to know what went on behind the studios. I'm sure we'll hear a story about it very soon. Once there's like a, you know, a bunch of former devs talking about what went wrong with that project <laughs> yeah. or whatever, but I don't blame them for it. Uh, Arcane no, no. is, is still a very talented studio that I'm sure will go on to make uh, great games that we all love and enjoy. But uh Redfall probably won't be one of them. I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. What is true, at least based on the reports that were out there, is ZeniMax did put them in a position to create something that was outside of Arcane Austin's wheelhouse. And so... Which can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing. Like, uh, I tend to think when a de- when it's developer-driven, when a developer tells you, hey, I want to try this thing that we're not really known for, but let's give it a shot, I say in those situations, your answer, if you're a good publisher or a studio owner who can afford it you say yes do it right because without that we wouldn't have grounded uh from obsidian we wouldn't have uh um hi-fi rush from uh tango gameworks uh these are games that are not at all in the kind of portfolio of those developers and they were allowed to take a chance and that was awesome other times it seems like studios are kind of being pigeonholed into doing something and so i guess zenimax asked you know Hey, we saw your work on um, Prey with the uh, Moonfall expansion. That kind of seems like maybe it could be a basis for a, a you know, live service game. Could you do yeah. anything like that? You know, and I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have any examples of times that that has worked out, but I can't imagine it's very common that when a publisher demands something of uh, their developer that that is typically outside of what that studio wants to do or is known for. I can't imagine that there's many uh, times that that goes well, but I generally believe in giving developers the ability to shift and try something that they've never done before, because I think those are the most fun games is when it's just like some random idea somebody came up with and let's see if it works, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I think e- even with uh Rocksteady and Suicide Squad, I'm a little concerned about Suicide Squad, but uh, you know, one of the editors, uh, David Burdett, he's on the podcast with us. He's always like, uh, you know, why don't they just make another Batman? And I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, that probably would have made more money off yeah. of that, but I don't blame them for wanting to try Suicide Squad, you know, at, especially at the time they've conceptualized it. I'm sure Suicide Squad was more popular. Uh, yeah. I don't think they anticipated it taking as long as it has to develop it. So, no, I don't blame Rocksteady for, 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 for it. Be good. 
because I believe I believe Rocksteady has earned a little bit of good faith on that. I think the game is going to be good. Um, I have concerns. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say it's not going to be good, but I do have concerns. Yeah, I, I know why people have concerns. I'm not afraid by the numbers or the live service look of it uh, myself, but I, I know some people get turned off by that. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I I think you can look no further than Bungie, which we talk about a lot when we talk about live service, to know that you can't ask an inherently creative group of people, game yeah. developers, to just churn out widgets. That's not this industry. They're not producing, you know, uh, packs of Coca-Cola and then every year you just get to drink it, right? It's yeah. <laughs> an art. They're making art. And it's yep. and it's it's a you can't tell them to do Halo forever. Well, some people don't want to do that. This that studio clearly didn't, which is why they uh, sought for their independence. But yeah, it's a uh, um yeah, I I I totally agree with that. I think it's a uh, a terrible idea to ask people to just do the same thing over and over again. So more power to them. And I hope that game's good. I do. The, I do wonder about in the specific case of arcane Austin though, with what that developer does, let alone arcane, you know, the, the type of games that they make both arcane lions and arcane Austin. Mm-hmm. I do think about the type of people that they hire for, right? These are the type of games that they make. So these are the type of people they hire for. They probably didn't hire a bunch of people who had experience in live service games, which probably may have led to a snowball effect of, "Mm, we're trying to create this live service game. Yeah, we can figure it out because we're developers. We're experienced. ZeniMax trusts us. Yeah. But was that the best decision considering the type of talent that they had? Maybe not. And so I want to ask you, what do you believe qualifies a developer to create a live service in the first place? Um, I think anybody can create a live service. I think the qualifier that you have to have before you go into it is you have to have the long-term support of whoever's funding you uh, to basically triple down on your studio and give you essentially not full three times, but probably at least two times the resources that you had so that you can build separate teams to run the live service model. Like that's basically necessary, but I don't think there's any special qualifiers because live service games are only alike in that they have an ongoing pipeline. They don't have a, any other commonalities, right? Some live service games are like fall guys, which is like a, a silly geometry based, uh, you know, puzzle game. I don't know if you'd call a puzzle game, just weird competitive game. And then some of them are, um, like Hitman three, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's its own thing. That's just a, a, an interesting kind of live service practice. Some are Diablo, which is an ARPG, very different technical set of skills. So I honestly think the only commonality that you have to have that qualifies you to make one is um, uh, that you have the backing to create separate teams to run the live service. If you don't have that, you shouldn't even try. Uh, and we'll get to this when we talk about why I think a lot of live service games fail, but a failure to have that infrastructure, certainly a reason that a lot of them fail. Um, I agree with you that Austin, um, uh, what, am, why am I forgetting the name? Uh, uh, Arcane, the studio. Austin. Arcane Austin. Thank you. Jesus. I, I lost the word arcane all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you that, uh, arcane Austin, they probably don't have the pedigree for it because I talk about this a lot when people tell me like, Oh, rare isn't the same rare. Nobody who worked at rare works mm. there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, Stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. They, they make arguments like that, that like the studio doesn't matter because the original people at Bioware aren't there anymore. So it's not Bioware. And I disagree with that. Obviously yeah. there's a bit of a ship of Theseus happening in terms of personnel, but the commonality is exactly what you pointed out, which is they hire people who see Bioware games and say, I want to make games like that. And so the legacy and the culture around the type of games they develop tends to be people who want to work on those types of games. Now, cultures can change over time slowly and steadily, and they can kind of do that. But, you know, and then you'll get the occasional grounded where it's like not anything like Obsidian has made before. But are you going to tell me that Sea of Thieves isn't the most rare game that's ever existed? Right. Are you going to tell me that Grounded, despite being a survival game that is not at all like things they made in the past, isn't an Obsidian feeling game? Like these are games that very clearly have the identity of that studio. And so uh, I I 100% agree with that. That like who you, the people that you hire kind of reflects a lot on your company, but your company also kind of 
is a self-fulfilling prophecy for the people that you eventually hire. Anything you create, people want to work for you because they want to make those types of games, usually if you're a well-known studio. Um, and I think that's that's worth noting. I think it's similar with all, you know, just any business. Think about car makers. I mean, they've been making the same cars. You see Civics that have gone on for ages. Yeah. Car makers, they all have even new CEOs, news, all that stuff. They tend to have the same system of logic of these are the type of cars that we make. These are the people that we want to make them for. And they go on and make them. It's usually only when a disruptive shift happens that maybe a company goes in a completely different direction and they become and they start doing something different. So in the same way, totally agree. I think, uh, you know, something like rare. Yeah, they, they'll be the same. And I think for Arcane Austin, I think they'll they'll be fine. I think there is concern like because they tried to make Redfall and you know lost 70% of the developers that, that they had. Uh, I, I see the concern there, but after thinking about it for a while, I'm like, like you said, they're going to keep hiring people that make the kind of games Arcane Austin makes because that's the type of games those people want to make. You got a smile on your face. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I agree. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. In your head. Oh, that's one. I was just thinking about like the overreaction of people on the internet to say like, oh, the company's dead because they had a bad game. I mean, that's yeah. not oh, really no. true. Don't yeah, get that, me wrong. The loss in talent is bad, but I think the loss in talent is clearly more with like, they didn't like the direction of that game. And yeah, you have to be passionate about games because it's such a thankless pursuit. And if it's, if you're, not only having to bust your butt for 50 hours to work on a, a a game and then it's not even one you like like oh my god i can't think of anything that would make you leave faster plus we have to keep in mind this game was being developed during the great resignation right in the middle of uh, covid and the work from home shift and people moving all the time and everybody quitting their jobs and so i think some of that is probably just the macroeconomics of what was going on at the time uh and it's easy to say oh yeah it was because the game was bad i'm sure a lot of those developers who left the the game was bad but games are always bad in the middle you know i mean games are always (laughs) bad when you're making them and then and then they get good and you're kind of surprised that they got good by by the end um but uh yeah i i I, I think they, they can't really be blamed for, for everything that happened to their company. I think uh, some of that was circumstantial, probably. Absolutely. All right. You wrote an article uh, suggesting yes. live service games aren't going away. So you, you suggest that the problems associated with games like Avengers or a knockout city, for example, had nothing to do with live service model. How is that so? Yeah. So something that I, th- I find is fascinating, um, which is that... Uh, when people say that live service games are failing, they are usually referring to all the live service games that uh, go offline, that like basically give up, right? And the interesting thing about that is that um, the the reason you see more noise about live service games failing is because when a live service game fails, they have to announce it, right? If you release a traditional game on Xbox on a disc and you sell it and it doesn't sell well... You don't have to put out a PSA and go, by the way, our game didn't sell well. We're taking it off <laughs> yeah. the store. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the differentiator is hundreds of games fail all the time, right? That's just, mm-hmm. ha- it happens. They come out and they just don't click with their audience and nobody really hears from them. Or a game might be really popular like God of War Ragnarok and you see this enormous spike and then people stop playing it because they complete the game, right? And, and that's the end of it. Live service games do not enjoy that model. They don't get to hide the fact that they failed if they did by just not saying anything and people don't judge them if people stop playing the game because they go yeah that's what it's supposed to be you're supposed to you know you could say god of war one dead game it doesn't mean it's a bad game it just means that people beat it already and you know they're playing it less and that's fine and so i think part of the model works against you if for example you can have a successful game run for 12 seasons like knockout city and then when you get to the end of it uh say all right well this is the end of the road for us. We've sort of run this idea out and then you turn the servers off and then people go, Oh, that game failed. Cause my question is, did they fail? I mean, they ran 12 seasons. I, they were a studio with 30 people when they were making knockout city 35, I think. 
So I'm sure they made money off of it, selling it at 30 bucks a pop and then microtransactions on top of it. I know they made their money back. And so did they view it as a failure? They made a game that a lot of people liked and they ran it for more seasons than a lot of live service games get. And so I think the the problem is people see Fortnite, a game that's going to run forever, and they say that's what success looks like in live service. It has to run forever or it's a failure, right? Yeah. But you or can have a like we know Destiny. the saga is going to end at some point, but it's been going yeah. for 10 years. It has met it's its 10 year expectation. Yeah, it's, it's going for 10 years and apparently it's going to go beyond 10 years because they're this is the 10 years is only going to be the end of the first saga and then they're going to do something mm-hmm. else in the Destiny uh, game. So, uh, yeah, it, it I, I think um, looking at those, to me, those are the exceptions to the rule. And there are going to continue to be like Apex Legend type games and, and awesome. I'm glad that there are people that can do it forever. I don't think that that, needs to be the only metric for success especially when there's so many different types of games and some of them can run for much shorter periods and still enjoy success and so um that's the first thing is that a i think the way we measure success in life service is flawed like a lot of people say if you ever if you ever take your servers offline you failed right yeah so call of duty modern warfare one the servers are pulled they failed halo 2 original on the original xbox you can't play it anymore they failed failed as a game um you know what i mean so i i, I don't think that's a, a fair way to, to measure it and the second thing is that a lot of the games actually i would i would venture to say all of the live service games that have uh gone offline have gone offline for reasons that have very little to do with the fact that they are live service games uh, certainly they struggle with the model but they all had other problems and i i point in the article a couple things like um apex mobile and um which i actually don't remember the research i did for that one because this is a long time now we've been trying to have this podcast for a while so it's the article's kind of old Um, but things like avengers right where like avengers had a problem almost immediately it sold really well people loved the campaign uh but then they got to the actual end game the the online live service part and a lot of people fell off really hard from that game for content reasons and kind of monotony and they just sort of grinded at it and where a lot of people fell off that game really hard and so when i see that game fail and people say wow it's the live service model i look at that and i go it was not a great game you know what i mean like yeah, the yeah, story yeah. was good but like you could point at the game and just be like look like do we really think this is the reason it didn't work um you know rumble could, could it be rumble. argued that using the live service model is what led to those issues um well they made a great game that had nothing to do with the live service model so if you imagine a world where they had cut off the live service arm there was no multiplayer and it was just a campaign i'm sure a lot of people would have beaten that and just played through the campaign and then the game would have yeah the game would have been hailed as a success. And so the live service was additive. I don't think it hurt anyone, right? The people who wanted to keep playing had an option to do so. And some of them really liked it. I've got a buddy, uh, um, Luke that, that plays that game, all that played that game all the time until, until they, uh, reached the end of, of their cycle. And so, um, I don't know if it hurts anyone and I don't know if it is it reflective on the game as a whole, you could still go and play the campaign. You could still buy the game and yeah, play yeah. the campaign. And so if you wanted it to not be a live service game, I guess now you have your wish because you can just buy the game and it won't have the live service part to it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't know if them trying live service on top of it makes it a failure. It is certainly true that the live service arm of their game failed, but I sincerely believe that if that part were better, it wouldn't have failed. Like that's oh, really sure, all, yeah. it, all it comes down to, right? If they, if they had worked on that part more, if they had planned their content roadmap, especially because their big problem was it took them forever to come out with content. I mean, people were waking, waiting way too long. Like in live service now, if you're not m- doing updates at least monthly, like you're, you're going to get killed, right? And so um, I think that was their problem. People were waiting months uh, to play uh, Avengers content and then it would come out and it would end up being kind of, haphazardly thrown together or not that fleshed out and people would be done with it and like pretty quickly right they're getting through that stuff and being like well i did everything i guess i now i'm just back waiting again um so yeah i I don't know if it affects the success or failure of a game uh objectively but i I get why people could look at that and go well the game failed because of the live service i would argue the live service model fail the live service part of that game failed uh but it didn't make the game a failure you know what i mean yeah, I hear that. I wonder about the part of the reason why it got to the point that it did where they were 
behind in content and and other games that have had problems releasing content and things like that they have decided we're going to make a live service game okay do you have the resources and the backing to be able to go into that before you've made that decision if the answer is no then i think going into so i I guess it could be said maybe the live service isn't the problem it's the decision to go into live service that might be the problem it's like trying to open a restaurant and you don't have experience in the restaurant industry you don't have the kitchen the food the ingredients all that stuff but you're like "Ah, yeah i want to open a restaurant and eh, it doesn't quite work out because you're trying to get everything as you go yeah i think it's more like um if you open the restaurant and you said uh yeah we 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 want to do a restaurant and we also want to sell dessert, right? And people are coming to the restaurant and they're saying, oh, this is really good. I'll, I guess I'll see what's for dessert. And then your dessert is you have like one and a half banana splits, right? And you're <laughs> like, okay, well, I didn't really prepare for this part of my business at all. I don't really have yeah. the pipeline or roadmap mapped out for this. And so then when people start asking for that, then I have to ask a prize. And I'm like, oh man, guys, we need to find a whole bunch of bananas and ice cream. Cause like now there's a ton of demand for banana splits. And to me, it's the way they planned it out because I think people attack the model. They say, I don't like live service as a model. If it's a yeah, live service, game, a nothing to do with it. Right. And I just go, well, why do you hate the model? What I would hate is bad versions of that. And so I get why yeah. you would hate Avengers, uh, the uh, Marvel's Avengers live service game, because if you play that, you're like, all right, well, this is kind of just like a, a whatever afterthought to the game. And they didn't have a roadmap to it. But the truth about live service games is that that model allows developers to do stuff that they would never normally be allowed to do without having that live service model. And I, I use Hitman a lot for this because Hitman was an indie studio. They had just bought the property uh, of Hitman from their uh, corporate owner and broken off as their own independent studio. And they used the live service model in order to finish their game, right? Sort of like an early access. And mm-hmm. they've supported Hitman 3 years after it's come out at this point. Um, and create a new content for it. And so it's providing experiences and giving developers another option that they didn't previously have. And so I find it odd when people hate on the model. I get why you would hate certain games, but the actual model uh, is what bothers me. And so I would view, I would say Avengers is a very poor live service game. But I don't think that that means live service games are bad inherently. There's way too many examples of good ones. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, All right. Let's... uh... Actually, I did want to ask this question. What kind yeah. of games work best as live services, do you think? I hope the answer is that there isn't a correct answer to that because I would really dislike it if live services... I'm just asking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to see what your answer so, was. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's what a genuine answer is that, like, um, I, I think, obviously, the, the uh, answer so far is that shooters tend to do well, specifically Battle Royale games. Um, but, but I think I'm that's because of what the market wants, right? Like they that's just because want what a bunch the market wants would be my guess is that they want shooters and they battle royales are kind of the current fad right now in gaming. And I, I know some people, uh, uh, balk at me calling it a, a fad because it's been around for so long and so many people really, really like it. Maybe it is here to stay, but for all intents and purposes, it's like the thing that's hot right now. Right. And so I, I'm not meaning to, uh, put down those games or anything, but that people, people are really into that right now. And so obviously those are going to work as live service games, but games that give me hope as live service games are, we just saw Diablo launch, which is a full, full live service game. People seem really interested and invested in that. If Diablo three's life, life service light model is anything to go by, I think it's going to be um, really well, really well received and people are going to be really engaged in that game. Uh, we've got sea of thieves, which is it, its whole own bag of tricks. We've got fall guys, which is it's a crazy different thing. Uh, Naraka Blade Point, which technically is a battle royale, but I I kind of put it in a different uh, bucket because it's so so very much not a shooter, right? It's just like a very yeah, yeah. it's its own thing, um, which I really really uh, enjoy. I like that game. Um, yeah, it's a great game. Uh, and so I I hope that the answer is that no game type works best as a live service than the other. I really hope that that's the answer. Um, but so far, we definitely have seen um, trends that you can track. Um, yeah, I think multiplayer I think, seems to be hitting. Multi, that's what I was going to say. I, I think multiplayer is almost a prerequisite at this point. Hitman three is not a multiplayer game. And it that is, is a, like, yeah, that's an interesting one. It's an interesting one, but it does have a community aspect. Like they have, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, assassination attempts and there's like a whole like try to beat your friends times and try to kill in more creative ways than your friends and score attacks and stuff so there's like an interesting like arcade experience to hitman that i think is really interesting to me but um i think you could I think you could make, we've already seen successful single player live service games. So I think that is a potential whole nother frontier for people to break into is live service games that are single player. And I, I'm sure I'm forgetting about examples that are live service, single player games that people love actually Diablo four. I'm pretty sure most people play as a single player game from what I can tell. They play There's a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I think th- I think that those people who play it alone will enjoy it as a live service game and play it as a live service game. Cause that's what happened with Diablo three. I think Diablo three, most people played that alone as well. And that had 28 seasons actually, technically it still has seasons going on. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk PlayStation. Okay. Sony wants to make 12 live service games in four years. years, four years, four, four year. Yeah. It, there's a lot of like, hilarious uh not misinformation but conflicting information um it's 12 and 4 um i think that's not a great plan but um how can playstation make it work yeah so they got a few things in their back pocket um one they have bungie which obviously that was the main uh reason for that acquisition um I, i have spoken publicly about how i think that um bungie is going to experience a brain drain in coming years. And I think that brain drain has very much already begun uh, where, you know, the, the money that they put toward employee retention was so high in that deal. I think they were very clearly doing what we call in the tech industry in San Francisco, uh, an accu hire, which is where you uh, buy a company for the people specifically. You want the, you want the people, the brain trust. Um, And uh, I think it's very clear when you look at Sony's objectives as a company, guy on motorcycle driving by at full speed um i think it's very uh clear when you um when you look at sony's plan as a company that the reason they bought bungie is to get the people and i feel that if you are a middle manager at bungie and you get offered an opportunity to go work on a separate project and get paid more and have a better job title that you will probably take that offer and so i think that the leadership at bungie is probably going to disappear uh, and most of the seniority is going to disappear in coming years to work on other projects those Sony projects, I think the reason, my guess is the reason that they put a lofty number of 12, I've heard 10 in the past as well, but let's say it's 12, um, is because they know that all of those are not going to be successful and they kind of only need one to be successful, right? Like they need their yes. Fortnite or they need their Call of Duty Warzone or their big, big thing. And so those are pretty few and far between. Yeah. Um, it's tough to arrive at, at those... Uh, at those uh, games. Um, But I think that the reason that they are creating 12 of them and doing it so quickly is because they are trying to get in that business quick. Um, Mm. Their model has worked very well for them of selling $70 titles, but I think the economics are way too good to pass up on live service. And I think that also they're, they're trying to build their portfolio outright. Like um, you've seen a common complaint from, PlayStation fans lately is that they're finally getting sick of the over the shoulder third person action adventure model. Um, obviously they still want those types of games, but they don't want it to be the entirety of PlayStation's portfolio. And I think that they're uh, desperately trying to prepare for the future in terms of what are, what is our player base going to look like five, 10 years from now and what types of games are they going to expect from us? Um, and I think that's smart to do. I think the Bungie acquisition was a, very very good idea from playstation's uh, point of view and from what they got out of that deal um i think it was less good for bungie but um yeah i i uh i don't know about the about their plan to have 12 um one of the reasons live service games fail probably the most common reason is a failure to prepare for the live service part of the game and based on my discussions with um developers the reason that that happens is because they're already making a big bet with developing a game and it's really hard to double or triple that budget by hiring enough people to then go and build the live service game before the game has come out. And so what a lot of people will do apparently is drop the game, see if it's a hit. And then if it's a hit, then they'll hire and start working on live service. Mm. And if you do it that way, the problem is you risk the game 
starting to tank its numbers before you actually have the content available. And probably the most high profile example of this is Anthem, who created a, a game that, you know, they put so many development resources behind making that game. And then they didn't plan the live service model at all. Yep. Halo yep. Infinite is another great example of this. They made a great game in my estimation, uh, one of the best shooters in recent years. Fantastic. And, and they, and then they didn't hire a live service team and didn't plan the content roadmap at all. And it's crazy to me that you would do that, especially with a title as big as, as theirs. And so you see some studios getting it right. Um, Blizzard with Diablo 4, they, you know, season one was already almost done when the game yep. came out, right? Mm-hmm. Like they had yep. worked on it a long time. The season two has already been in development for a long time. And they're, they're working on that uh, as they prepare to ship um, season one uh, on July 20th. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that they've, those people, they tend to succeed and people who don't hire tend to fail. And so if I were Sony and I was trying to develop 12 games, I would think very carefully about how many of those you're going to actually build the content pipeline for, and how many of those you're going to wait and see, and then build it after. Because I just honestly think if you believe in your game, double down early before the game's even out and build the content pipeline. Because if you don't, you could take a great game and just beat it over the head before it has a chance to actually flourish. And I think so many companies do that. They get like a great game that comes out and then it just, it flops because they didn't believe in it. The publisher slash developer just didn't believe in it enough to hire up and and build the content pipeline. And I think it's so short-sighted. So this is something you bring up something I just hadn't considered before uh, a thought I had was I think live service games can be the most expensive type of game to create uh, also because you have to maintain it. But one thing I, that is true. Yeah. But I think it could also be said it could be cheaper because if you abandon it early enough, then you haven't spent as much money on it. And so you bringing up the fact that maybe, um, maybe Sony's doing this as a, we're going to develop 12 so we can find the one and we'll just yep. ditch the ones that uh, don't hit quickly enough. To me, I, initially, that just sounded like a terrible money sink. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's so much money lost. But perhaps it could be Sony's thinking about, well, if we ditch them quick enough, the development cost is no greater than our single player games if we, yep. if we ditch them quick enough. I think that's exactly the mentality that they have. And and that frankly, that's scary to me because th- this mentality, another thing that is very familiar to San Franciscan or Bay area people is that, you know, Google developed, they, they uh, developed kind of the strategy of uh, failing fast and making mistakes once, which is why you see them do things like invest, you know, billions of dollars into stadia and then kill it like unceremoniously, yep. like not even, not even like really try at making that product better. And the reason they do that is because, uh, you know, they're all about just like trying new stuff as a company, but then when things fail, they kill it as quickly as possible. And so I think, uh, I think there's a lot of that mentality floating around in the gaming space right now where they're just like, look, there's no way to guarantee a game is going to be successful because the will of the people is too amorphous and just hard to track. And so you never know what's going to be a hit. And so put stuff out there. If it doesn't resonate, kill it. If it does resonate, build a team around it and make it good. The problem I have with that model is a, just believe in your game. I really don't think that developers want to be working on 11 games that they know are going to fail. If you're working at Sony right now, working on a live service game, I would be worried that I'm on one of the 11 teams that's not going to make it. And if I were an artist working on a game that doesn't seem particularly fulfilling to me that I'm sort of in a pecking match with my fellow developer studios yeah. at Sony trying to develop a, the next big uh, live service game. And also you threaten to undermine the very existence of your game by not having a pipeline ready. If Diablo four right now had no season one in sight, people would be pissed at that game yep. because people, I already started to see posts of like, oh, I'm getting a little burned out on Diablo, but yep. guess what? The season's coming in 18 days, right? And they've, they've had weekly kind of reminders and patches. They just had a huge patch that fixed the end game and nightmare dungeons and the way a lot of that stuff works. And so they got a live stream coming 
Yeah, the uh, live stream on the, the sixth live covering. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they they they're doing well because of the live service model, even in other places where their game kind of fails. Uh, you know, the campaign not being good is one of the things I said in my review uh, of that game. Um, and so I, I think uh, more important than anything, well, obviously the most important thing is your game being good, obviously. Uh, otherwise, nothing else matters. But more important than anything in making the live service part successful is uh, the actual model than the pipeline being in place. Like you have to have those teams in place. They have to already have been working on the content before the game comes out. And that is a super scary leap of faith to publishers that are managing budgets to be like, well, I have to hire three teams. You know what I mean? That's tough. Um, but I, I think you have to do that. Otherwise don't make your game. Don't, don't make a beautiful knockout city and then not be ready to deliver yeah. content to it. Just don't do it. It's, it's too, it's too heartbreaking when the community dies off because of a lack of content. Which is, okay, so this brings up the concern I have with Sony hiring Bungie. Um, I've gone on record saying that I don't think it was a good hire for Sony to do it because, number one, it's a uh, a conflict of interest for Bungie. You got Bungie over here running Destiny, their own live service. Now they got Marathon, and now you're going to ask Bungie to help with these other live service games. Do you really think Bungie wants to sacrifice some of their player base potentially for a so game that what might become big what you're describing is a raw deal for bungie importantly because you said yeah. i don't think it's a good idea for sony to acquire bungie it's a great idea for sony to acquire bungie well okay it's not, it's not a great idea for bungie to sell but, the company yeah but on, but on bungie's side do they really want to put in the effort to make a game for sony that's better than or at least on par with something with, with destiny Two or marathon so yeah. like on sony's end maybe they're not getting the best efforts from bungie to make their other well, live service games you you think that they're not gonna help out and do it see the way i uh, see it not is, necessarily like all the way but you know apprehensive, like right yeah, yeah yeah so my thinking is that there are certainly going to be some people that think that way but those people are going to stay at Bungie and the people who don't think that way aren't going to be at Bungie employees much longer. They're going to work for okay. a different Sony studio. And that's why I'm describing it a brain drain from Bungie. It yeah. goes, it's, just, it's literally just going to be like, all right, well, we have your people. You guys can still do your team or whatever you work on, but all your talents here because we're willing to pay them more. And that yeah. is a problem. I think I have. So I think it was a great acquisition on Sony's part. It, it meets all their goals. I do agree. Yeah. Idea on Bungie's part. And I do agree. Like, first of all, I want to say a couple things. One, I think Marathon is one of the 12. It's their yeah, studio. Fair. It's first party. So I think that one, that's not really a conflict of interest because they just want live service games to be successful. And they already have one in Destiny, which they got through acquiring. If Marathon yeah. ends up popping off, then that's going to be great for them because they will have two live service games that were successful. And I think that's going to be counted as one of the 12. But we'll see. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. My other issue with Bungie is and you might disagree with this but i i don't i don't think Bungie has nailed the live service in, in a way that is uh i had a feeling fruitful, you were going to say that yeah fruitful for other developers and uh it's not it, i think a large part of the reason why Bungie has had success with Destiny 2 is because um, it, the game itself is good i've played it for a long time it, it's it's good it's not consistently good they were the first right it is because they were the first. And so they have that player base. They're not going anywhere. So they get to mess around and try things and fail and succeed and have all of that. I don't think they ever really figured it out. And so, yes, maybe they were one of the better ones at it. But honestly, I'd say Fortnite is better than Destiny 2 in terms of having a uh, a model that is you can't uh, buy Fortnite. consistent. Huh? You can't buy Fortnite. You can't buy Fortnite. Yes. But this is also part of the problem with Destiny 2 and its monetization model. Like, I just, I don't yeah. know how so they translate that kind of things. stuff over to the other games. One, I think that you're absolutely right to be, uh, have a big question mark over your head about is that De our Destiny, are Bungie the experts that PlayStation thinks they are? Yeah. Um, my answer to that question is that yes, they are. Uh, and I think. One, you're right. They were first, and so they enjoy benefits that no other live service game gets to enjoy because they didn't have to exist in a world where Destiny was an option, right? right. The Division had, couldn't make the same mistakes because people could just go and play Destiny, right? And so they were unique in that they, they earned that. But I will say I can count 
all of the problems with Destiny, and almost none of them are related to the live service model. Okay. Honestly. Bad okay. storytelling. It's not really live service. It's just they need to work on that. Um, well, with that real quick. Oh, you're going to try to attribute it to live service. Yes. No, the, no, 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 no. Hold on. Because yeah, it was a live service me. game when they released the base expansion of Destiny. The base game. Was the story good? Destiny 1? No. Yeah. Have they awful. succeeded in any of the main expansions along the way? Uh, Witch Queen, I, I think, was pretty okay, good. Witch Queen's good. So that, that's my point, is that if you can I, succeed... So I'm more referring to the seasonal stuff in between. That's still a part of the storytelling. I, I do attribute that to the demand of content releases with live I service. I would agree with you if the main expansions were amazing and the seasonal was bad, but unfortunately they're both bad pretty often. Okay. Lightfall was, <laughs> Lightfall was not a live service story. Okay, that's fair. It was a full story and it was terrible. Because they do have two different teams, one I, on seasonal yeah, I, I one on main, right? Three different teams. So I, okay. but I, but I don't think you can point at, uh, yeah, they, they have three teams. They have the expansions team that makes content every year and then they have Alpha and Omega and Alpha makes oh, yeah. like odd, odd seasons and uh, Omega makes okay. seasons. Um, so okay, I see what you're saying. That's fair. Yeah. But my problem is that I just think they have that problem as a studio. I don't think they're good writers. I think all their good writers left years ago and, and they just have a problem with like story monetization is another problem that really isn't related to the live service model because if they, there's plenty of live service games that don't have predatory models. And so you don't need it. Right. It's sort of just the way that Bungie has structured it. And I think because they think they can get away with it, but that's not really, that doesn't speak to their live service expertise. It just says, don't listen to them when it comes to monetization, which I don't think is why Sony bought them. I don't think they bought them to be like, how do you run a microtransaction store? Like they know how to do that. Right. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they, sure. That's not the problem. Um, and then, you know, pick i mean pick pick a problem that destiny has and i'll tell you that i don't think it's like uh the fact that their game's super buggy i don't think that's live service i think the problem with that is that they're remote for the first time as a company and i don't think they're very good at working for a oh, yeah i would agree with that yeah i think they have trouble there you froze by the way on here oh there you go looks like oh. it might have been your internet um and then uh yeah uh so i think they are experts in live service because they developed the seasonal model in terms of having two separate teams running on seasons and then one team running the main expansion i think they know that i think they understand the cadence at which you have to deliver games i think they understand the community organizing part of it where you're constantly in a feedback loop with your community they understand running uh influencers and making an entire community of influencers to cover your game for you and get the word out there without relying on traditional media, which as a traditional media guy, I kind of hate, but I get why, why it works for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, uh, they, they also are experts on delivering content that not even Fortnite or any other game out there has successfully delivered in a live service model, which is a first person PVE story based shooter. Say what you want about Fortnite, but when they deliver a new season, it's mostly cosmetics and they throw in a few gimmicks. There's not a whole lot of heavy lifting of making new levels and making storylines and recording VO and creating cutscenes and like all the stuff they do that new activities all together. Like Fortnite doesn't have that. That so in terms of the volume and diversity of experiences and how high quality of a lot of those experiences are, Destiny is by and large the biggest. Uh, or the most successful at that. Like there's yeah, no one creating first person shooter story content every three months. That's crazy. Agreed. Uh, yeah, agreed. That's crazy. And so I, 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 I would disagree I with the, I would disagree with the successful part. Yes, they, they get it out there, but it's not always good. And I do think part of that is True. the demand of live service. Lightfall was not great. Um, other expansions before, uh, that wasn't a live service. I mean, it was part of the, life I, I think, I think it's part the of the system. demand of, of live service, trying to get it out there, trying to, you know, it's time. They have to do it in a certain amount of time. And part of yeah. that comes from running the live service. So that's what I mean when I say it is partly a live service issue because of the demand of what you need to put out in a certain amount of time in order to keep the people happy. I suppose that is a completely fair argument. My counter to that would be that all the problems that Lightfall has, they have made even when they had all the time in the world. So I still don't know if the model's the problem or if Bungie's just not good at that stuff. How many years they have, they have, 
How many years so did they have like, Destiny Vanilla? You know what I mean? Uh, like nine yeah. years. And then what, it had all the problems. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had hell of long. Because <laughs> between think about Halo Reach was the last Bungie game uh, that got worked on. That oh, was yeah, 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 yeah. 12, I think, 2011, yeah. 2012. And then Des- Destiny came out and, you know, it, it had been, they had been working 20. on it. It's ODST. So ODST was a year after Halo 3, 2009. And then. Yeah, it was like at least six years. So 2014 did Destiny come 2014 out? 2014 was yeah. when uh, Destiny came out. So they had at least six years to work on the game. Yeah. And so my, my point is that I do think Lightfall was bad because they rushed it. Because we have evidence to suggest that Lightfall was supposed to be the last expansion. And then they uh, haphazardly added a year to Destiny. They called it the la- the final shape. And then they changed what lightfall was into the thing yeah. that it is today there's like a lot of evidence to suggest that's what happened and so i think that they were trying to keep content coming and they made sacrifices along the way but you see that in game development all over the place people do that people cut the game because they run out of budget and they just have to push it out and when it's just a full game right you see that happen you see expansions that have to hit a certain deadline oh we said we were going to deliver this expansion and we don't really have the time or budget for it so let's push it out i think that's a um, okay, I can see what you're saying. E- economics related problem that's industry wide with meeting deadlines. And I think it exists. Everybody's outside. got a time limit. Yeah. You know? I think it exists outside of the live service model, okay. but I will say that, that is a fair point. And I could see how somebody could see live service as lowering quality. I personally think Bungie's great at a lot of things, but delivering quality stuff like story and uh, interesting activities is not really one of them, at least one that they can nail success. Uh, uh, consistently. consistently they yeah. can do it with witch queen but you know you see their a teams on those teams like i don't know if you saw the team that worked on lightfall but it was a lot of like unknown people that i was like oh mm. okay. i mean this is like okay. a new generation of bungie employees but they i uh, clearly they had other people working on the final shape at that time you know what i mean so it's interesting stuff yeah well you yeah you have a closer inner working of that stuff i'm kind of looking fly on the wall um yeah okay no, that's good. um all right let's talk let's talk overwatch 2 um yeah they canceled pve obviously yeah. that was a uh, gut punch to a lot of people including myself really um, you're watch guy that's funny oh yeah i i, I so your destiny is my overwatch <laughs> so oh okay i didn't know that okay that's yeah okay. yeah um so yes i'm kind of at the point too with so you, overwatch so hate, like i play this because i job <laughs> so you hate the game and you hate yourself for playing it if it if it's your uh, destiny okay well i don't hate myself for playing it uh okay. the last night i was like why this game <laughs> needs so much help uh, uh yeah so yes i have my moments but um they canceled it because they said live service was suffering um they couldn't meet the demands of creating pve while also maintaining the live service that is that is what they said uh they were very honest with uh their assessment and telling us i thought they were almost a little too honest (laughs) with telling us all the information but i appreciate it but that is essentially what happened there so is it is it possible for developers or publishers to avoid announcing things for the sake of keeping interest because that's one of the things live service games have to do in order to keep people interested. They have to know what's coming mm-hmm. as the season is going on. That is what Overwatch did in 2019 yep. at BlizzCon and turned out they didn't have what was needed in order to successfully pull that off. I would suggest if they never announced it and they kind of toyed with it in the back end and canceled it in the back end. No one would ever known or if they just hadn't even uh, released Overwatch 2, continued to develop it until it was done, maybe let Overwatch die a little bit, and then boom, Overwatch 2, here's our PvE and the updates to the new multiplayer with the 5v5 and all that. Enjoy. I think that would have been received a lot better than what they initially did. I attribute the problem, though, to having to announce something that is interesting and keeps players' interest. What do you think about that? Okay, so it's kind of two separate questions. One is, should they have announced something early? And the other one is, should Overwatch 2 have been a game? And I have very different answers for those. Um, So the the first one, um, announcing things. It is crazy to me 
how much every single live service game goes through the same problems and they refuse to learn from each other's mistakes. (laughs) Some of them do, but here, I'll tell you this. The, the, uh, we, we called this in the destiny community, the, uh, the, um, what was it called? The empty promises problem at Bungie. So they've actually had this exact problem that Overwatch is going through and they figured out a way to not make it in the future, which is you, they should have announced it. I agree that they should. I I personally think that they should have announced the PVE. Their problem was uh, stating that it was happening for sure and giving a time frame for it. And that and they let people play it at BlizzCon. They had that. That is exactly the problem that Bungie repeatedly made, and the community kept being so disappointed Mm. and so pissed off that now Bungie takes a completely different approach, which is that they tell people what they're trying to do. When they tell uh, them what they're trying, they say, "Hey, That's, here's what we'd like to do, and we don't know when this is going to happen or if it's going to work, but here's where we're at, and here's what we'd like to happen." And that type of open communication, it does both things. It, it gives you the hype because they go, "Oh, well, they're working on this thing and they want to do it," and it also does not disappoint the community and offer things like specific dates or specific promises that it's going to be there. Because um, Bungie used to do roadmaps for Destiny. Where they would mm-hmm. say, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And people started noticing over the months and years and seasons that stuff was falling off of that. And we were never hearing from it again. And Bungie eventually just had to have a come to Jesus moment where the community where they said, hey, look, it's game development. It's alchemical. Stuff is changing all the time. And we're just not able to keep that. So we're going to stop doing it. And uh, some, de- some uh, live service developers have seen that and realized that's the way to do it. That is the middle ground. And some developers have com- acted like they've never, like they're, they're frontiersmen. You know, they know this has never been done before. Nobody's ever made these mistakes that we're making. Um, it's mind boggling to me, honestly, that, that people do that. So I think the Overwatch problem was in the way that they announced it. It was the promises. It was the letting people play it. It was the saying that it was happening for sure. It was the giving a time frame for it happening. All those things are up in the air and they are dependent upon your game continuing to be popular. And if you, if all of those are variables, then the worst thing you could do to yourself, the biggest way to shoot yourself in the foot is by making promises that you're not sure you can keep. Your second question should overwatch two exist. I am a resounding no on that one. Overwatch (laughs) two was weird from the moment they announced it. I did not understand why it was existing i didn't know why we needed an overwatch 2 it didn't seem because it's not like destiny right where when we came up with destiny 2 we were like all right well the old engine's getting a little old and uh they want to tell a new story and they want to get rid of all of your old items and they're changing well, they're still under the activision model also yeah they're still under the activision model and so they kind of had pressure to do it as well all of that stuff where you're like all right it makes sense why there's a sequel um overwatch 2 had no reason to get a sequel it's not like they were doing anything amazing or cha- making any major changes to the way the game functioned or you know getting rid of all the old characters and throwing an entire cast of new ones or anything like that yeah. it was just like we're putting a two on it because we want a soft relaunch and an opportunity to you know re-inspire the live service model that we had that's that was that's how i saw it it was a weird release uh i think there were a lot of problems with that and i think there was so much confusion from the consumer of like wait, so this is kind of Overwatch 1.5? Like, it's not really yep. a sequel, but it's got a two on it? Like, I I just, I saw it as a nightmare. The, it was one of those things, you know how sometimes gamers have, like, a ton of industry wisdom? Like, for example, you know how when Stadia was announced and then they told us the model of Stadia and mm-hmm. every gamer that you have ever talked to went, that's not going to work. Yep. As soon as they said you have to buy the game, because they're consumers it. too. They know they yeah. know what they would buy. They were just like, they were just like, nope, that's not going to work. And it's crazy to me that people like smart people at Google making Stadia didn't see that themselves. Like, how did they not know that Stadia wasn't going to work? That the model was all messed up. And you know, to, maybe to their credit, maybe they tried to get that model through, and Google was just like, no, we we have to charge for games. So there there were some economic reasons for the model that they came up with. Give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that's true. I wouldn't have Still released the model it. they put out. It's still the model they put out. And I, I still feel the way that way about Overwatch 2. If they felt like, well, to make the economics of live service on Overwatch work, we have to resell the game for full price and get people to rebuy into the franchise. Uh, 
fine, then make a different game. Then make a, make a game with a whole new cast of characters and do the thing that you are claiming that you want to do. Do not rehash. Cause you know, the other thing about destiny two is it had a new campaign. It had new content, you know, overwatch yeah. two didn't, didn't, it's not like overwatch two came out and it had a PVE mode baked into it. If it did, right. I think we'd be having a different conversation. And I think it's weird that they basically launched an early access and they sold people a game when the people bought it, they thought they were getting PVE, which means that you now paid for something. Well, it became free to play. So nobody bought it, but everybody was still expecting PVE. Yeah, everybody was expecting it. Right. Wait, did we really not buy it? Why do I feel like I paid for Overwatch 2? You paid for Overwatch and then they changed for Overwatch 2. They made it free to play. So they literally got rid of the Overwatch. I bought Overwatch 2. I didn't own it. I bought Overwatch 2. You you bought yeah, it or did you buy it like the season one. Cuz oh. you're saying that you're saying you bought Overwatch 1 and then they gave you I bought Overwatch to play, right? But you already yeah, owned Overwatch. So, so I bought it on Xbox, but I had owned Overwatch on PlayStation. So I think what I did was I bought Overwatch 1 thinking this is the problem. Exactly what we're talking about right now. I bought Overwatch <laughs> 1 and I didn't even know it. Like that's yep. so I was like I was like I swear to god I paid $40 for Overwatch. I like there's no way that, that you know that am I the only one who paid for the free to play version of the game? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. You're saying, I'm you're sure a lot of people you're saying you had to own Overwatch 1 to play Overwatch 2 free to play, right? No, 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 no. You didn't have to own it. Overwatch 2 was going to be free to play regardless. They just oh. got rid of they literally replaced the Overwatch file into Overwatch 2. So Overwatch does not exist anymore. Like you so cannot you find the file. Buy, you cannot buy Overwatch 1 for money. You just can download Overwatch 2 for free. Correct. So okay, anyway. then I'm probably I'm probably mistaken then. I probably just you're you're probably right that I bought Overwatch 1 at one point and I'm just misremembering, but uh yeah that that makes it less bad that they didn't charge people for stuff because we've seen that in live service too i think this is another reason people hate live service games so egregiously is because we've seen scummy scummy stuff happen in the industry which i don't think is a reflection on the model it's just a reflection on certain companies making bad decisions like when bungie removed content from destiny that people bought that was a terrible idea and i think we had a conversation about that i think we talked about it here or something um but yeah uh the, the stuff like that i think is is a terrible terrible decision so it's less bad that they didn't charge people and then just removed something but it's still terrible to make promises you know you can't keep overwatch 2 should not have been a game personally i think they should yeah. have stuck with overwatch 1 and they should have built upon it and i don't see any reason why they couldn't have done that in the overwatch 1 app i don't know why they had to make a separate 2 I honestly just think it was for remarketing purposes. They just wanted to oh, get people hyped about it again and think, oh, it's it's brand new. It's you know, even though it was essentially the same game. Sorry. I mean, yeah, they were they were switching from loot boxes to a typical um, battle pass system that you see in Apex and Fortnite and all the other games. Um, they went from six v six to five v five. So I mean, there were some very significant changes, but. Was it? I defended Overwatch Two as as a two because I thought PVE was coming. So I was like, when the PVE is here, yes, that is a justified two on that. For now, yes, I understand one point five, but yeah, yeah, PVE is coming, guys. No, it's not. No, now, yes, at this point, it's now you're like, okay, so all they did was they changed the core multiplayer mode a little bit, and they changed yep. the monetization model, which is not really changing anything about the game. No, nope. changing things about the ecosystem around the game yeah. economy mm-hmm. yeah man which people do attribute to live service because most times live service games are free to play games so the monetization sure. model kind of comes with it correct but i would argue that the monetization model we got with overwatch 2 was better than in one loot boxes are not a symptom of live service do not no, forget that sure. they, oh, yeah, they, yeah yeah they existed a lot i know that. that and so yeah yeah <laughs> i know i'm just saying like that that's like the thing people people i think associate live service with loot boxes i'm like dude that is not a live service thing that is a bad game microtransactions thing it exists in lots of games that are not games as a service um so yeah I, uh, I, I would say if you told me hey travis you can have loot boxes or you can have a season pass i will take a season pass any day of the week, thank you very much. I agree, but I think Blizzard would take the loot boxes because I don't think they're making as much money as they did when the loot boxes existed. I think you're right, and I would argue that that's probably a good thing that they're not making as much money because uh, that means that they're charging their players more to to gain stuff. And there's also that kind of predatory gambling argument that I I well, really I, don't like to get into. Um, yeah, 
but yeah, it, it is, uh, I think the model was better. I just think that they didn't make the second game. That was really the problem with that one. Agreed. They could have done that. That'd have been cool. Yep. But they didn't. They didn't do it. All right. Travis, thanks for joining me. Yeah, dude. This it's fun. Conversation. It was insightful. Hopefully uh, people get yeah. something out of this. It was good. All right. You can uh, find learned about Travis. Overwatch too. Huh? I didn't know that. I, didn't, I learned about Overwatch too. Apparently I didn't buy that game. So <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe you bought the, uh, the $40 version where they sold like the first season or you know, I, I, think, I don't remember. Oh, was that it? Or it was bundled with like, Oh, yeah, they my, gave my, you like skins and oh, the, that's what I did. first Damn season it. or something like yeah. that. Okay, I think I yeah. think I bought like a deluxe edition or something. Okay, that makes more sense. Got it. Got it. Yeah, maybe that's what you did. I, like, God, I swear I bought Overwatch too. <laughs> I just I, I got I got uh, I got scammed. I sent somebody some money <laughs> Overwatch too. Oh, if they would have had both there at the same time with Overwatch yeah. and Overwatch. Oh, that would, oh yeah, 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 yeah. bloodbath. Absolutely. I just remember having to pay money because I remember my finger on the trigger and I was like, "Do I really want to buy Overwatch? I don't even really like this game." And then I ended up doing it. So. Yeah, that was apparently a mistake. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. You can yeah. check out Travis's stuff on IGN. What you got? Are you working on anything? Go ahead, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm I'm reviewing um a game called Everybody One Two Switch. Uh, it is a. Uh... <laughs> Why do you laugh, Anthony? What What is it? That I've already I've mean? already heard. Yeah, I'm not. So, gonna, you're um, under embargo. I can laugh. No, I'm not. You, I'm not. No, you're not. The oh. game is out. The game came out on Friday. So funny story about oh, this. Oh, it did. We were supposed to get early copies to the game. And for whatever reason, the developer slash publisher decided to not send anybody early copies of the game. Oh, and no. so <laughs> I got the game on Friday uh, after the game was out. About six hours after the game came out, I got a copy of it from the publisher. And I've been playing it. And I'm not in embargo, So I can tell you right now, it's bad. It's not a good game oh at all. God. So I'm uh, I'm not enjoying that. But uh, my review will be up this week. I'm also reviewing okay. a, um, a Souls-like with guns sequel, Remnant 2. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy, um, which I'm about I'm to buy that on sale, up. Remnant. I'm about to buy the first one. Hell yeah, it. dude. Remnant 1 is, is awesome. The people who make it Gunfire Games. I actually did uh, IGN's uh, IGN first in March. Uh, which was Remnant 2. So I, I went down to the studio in Austin and covered that game with the team there. And um, I've played a significant amount of it. So I'm, I'm excited to to check out how it turned out and play the full yep. version. Um, I'm, so I've got that in the pipeline. And then I'm doing some previews I can't talk about and some other cool stuff and covering Diablo 4 as well. And um, yeah, I'll have, I'll have more to talk about in the coming weeks and months. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Travis. Or if that's still a site anymore, um, or, or uh, you can um, just Google Travis Northup IGN and you'll find me. There you go. You can also find him on the Season Gaming Bitcast as well. He, yes, there. And I'm on a uh, Destiny podcast every week, the Last yeah. Word podcast, which I don't know why I'm still on that show, but I'm there. You can find me there. It's good. <laughs> All right, Travis. Appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. Buddy. Thanks for the invite.